You're listening to The Real Reese. Welcome to my podcast, The Real Reese. My name is Reese, and I'll be your host of every single one of these episodes. And it has been quite a while since my last one. I apologize. Um, but like I told you guys, I was, I'm kind of in between seasons. Like the last two or three episodes was not a part of my season two. My season two is going to launch with quite a bang, and I'm aiming for like an early November, maybe maybe late November um, release date for that. But for now, we're just going to vibe because it's October. It's about to be fall, my favorite season. Um, Halloween is my favorite time of the year. I love the weather. I love the atmosphere because, as you know, horror is my favorite genre in media, in entertainment. I love the horror genre. So October is always a good time. There's a lot of games coming out too. Um, man, I'm just super excited. I'm gonna be doing uh, commentary tracks for um, the Fall of the House of Usher when that comes out. Um, but I'm gonna make a, 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 a quite a big commitment to you guys right now, and I'm gonna say that every single day in October, I'm gonna try to release an episode related to the horror genre in some way or. Maybe not even necessarily the horror genre, but just like kind of that spooky vibes or it may be like real life experiences or where you're researching other real life experiences. Uh, doesn't always have to be movies and books or whatnot. We can do other things, too. But I'm going to try to make that commitment to you guys now that I'm going to release one episode every day <laughs> until uh, the 31st. Um, don't know how far I'm going to get into that. Don't even know. I, I may edit this part out so if you hear this part i guess i'm gonna try to commit to it but if you don't hear it then i changed my mind but you won't ever know that uh, but anyway today i'm going to talk about my favorite writer and my favorite director of all time mike flanagan so if you know me you know i am a huge fan of mike flanagan and i have no shame uh he's definitely my favorite writer and director of all time uh well i'm not gonna say favorite writer i think it's a, it's a struggle, it's like it's a fight, a hard fight between him and Stephen King, but I think as far as the TV and film world goes, I would say Mike is my is definitely my favorite writer, um, but anyway, I think a lot of that just comes from his like complete understanding of the human condition, you know, he understands our relationships and our different mentalities about different things like politics and religious beliefs and just our own like moral compass our, our fights that we have within ourselves he understands all of it all these little tiny details and intricacies that just make us who we are um mike mike understands all of it and it's kind of it's incredible because from what i understand i don't think mike has any kind of like any kind of degree in like human psychology or anything related to any like counseling or any societal type of problems from what I understand I could be wrong maybe I need to <laughs> I need to reread on my Mike Flanagan Lord but um I don't think he has anything like that I think he's he's just so like in tune with himself and I'm guessing the others around him that he can just craft these stories and it's kind of it's kind of crazy it's, it's definitely kind of crazy and on today's episode, we're going to rank all four of his Netflix shows. Um, I'm pretty sure I recorded this once, and I've even talked about it on some published episodes. Like, my uh, my three-hour Hill House discussion is one of my favorite episodes I've recorded for the podcast. It might be my favorite. Um, and I definitely gave my ranking of the four shows there. And the other people I did the episode with, they also gave their rankings. So... You've definitely heard me tell my ranking a few times because it hasn't changed from back then. Um, 
but I do have like more. I I think I got broad like more fine-tuned opinions about some of them. Um, and some of my experiences regarding those topics and those shows have changed over the last few months. So. I think it'll be fun to do this. I've never been able to do this like as a standalone episode that you guys have heard because, like I said, I recorded it once and my my windows got corrupted and just all my files got deleted, so I never got a chance to, to upload it. But that changes today. We're about to get into this. One thing I will say is that this is just the TV shows. I, I do plan on sometime this month um, doing the movies as well. And I think when I do the movies, I'm going to include the TV shows, too. So it's going to be like my overall ranking of the Mike Flanagan projects as a whole, the TV shows and the movies. Um, the only reason I'm not doing the movies right now is because I'm still missing like two. No, I, th- I think I'm missing. I'm not going to count the student films. I, I, I understand they're like a integral part of his um his journey as a, a filmmaker, but I'm not going to include those. And even if I did, I'm only missing two. I, I watched one of them. Um, but yeah, as far as his actual movies go, I'm just missing one movie so far, or maybe two. I have to have to reread the list. But um, but yeah, that's that's why I'm not doing the movies right now. But I will do the movies as well. Um, and the TV shows all on one like huge list. So that's gonna be fun. Expect that sometime this month. But for now, we're just gonna do the four TV shows that he that he has on Netflix. All right. And number four, we have The Midnight Club. It is his latest release as of right now. Um, on October 12th, 2023, his new show comes out. And I'm going to definitely do commentary tracks on that. I think that right there takes up like eight to ten ep- episodes of my podcast. Because I'm going to do a reaction and commentary track to like each one of those episodes. So that's something they can pad out this journey. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, as of right now, The Midnight Club is his latest release. And even though I have The Midnight Club as my least favorite, make no mistake, it is it is a good show. I still very much so enjoyed it. But I'm like, it's a it's such a weird, like, strange experience from the rest of his work. And I and I say that about Okay, so Midnight Mass is obviously different from The Hunting of Hill House and The Hunting of Black Manor because those two are kinda like a like a uh spiritual successor and predecessor of each other but midnight mass was something completely different and the midnight club is like even more different than midnight mass it's kind of it's strange man and i don't know why i feel the way i feel towards it like on, on one regard i think the midnight club is great and i love when tv shows like challenge my my perspective of life when it when it challenges my morals and my my religious beliefs i like to be challenged by media that i intake whether it be books or tv shows or movies i like i just like to have different perspectives like something to kind of open my eyes and give me either either set me down and like like solidify my previous beliefs or you know expose me to new ones like i like when media does that so i like the midnight club for that reason I like that it's like deep in that way, but in another way, <laughs> I think that it's a bit too much sometimes, and that might be strange from people that watch the other three shows because I think most people regard the Midnight Club as like the least, the least like uh, complex. Maybe that's the word for it. I'm not sure what the word is, but 
I, I just know the Midnight Club is not like the most loved by the by the community. Um, yeah, I just think it's a bit much. Um, for one, I think it's the theme. The theme is re- revolved around children or very young adults at, at the absolute most. But for what I understand, teenagers um, who are in a hospice, they all have these terminal illnesses and they're just like at the end of their lives. And they go down to the library to tell scary stories, um, or not always scary stories, but they go down to the library to tell stories every night at midnight to kind of pass the time. And um, I think the deal was if any of those guys passed away, that they would send a message from the other side to kind of prove that there's something more after life. Um, And that's, that's a cool concept, I guess, but it's also really fucking sad. Like, it's... (laughs) It's just, it's a lot, you know. And at the time, this wasn't true. But now, my mom actually has the same exact cancer that uh, that the main character has. My mom has thyroid cancer with lung metastasis. So now the show hits even more closer to home, but in a different regard, um, in a different way. And, and the way that it hit home the first time was that you know, I'm not sick or anything like that. I don't think I'm dying. <laughs> I don't think I'm dying anytime soon. But it's just the fact that these people, these teenagers are so close to me in age or younger than me, actually. I think at the time, at least, um, these characters were younger than me in age, but they're going through like this, this, this so much. And the way they view life, like every little thing is just another journey. Like every day, and I guess most people live life like this. Like every day is a new journey. Every day is its own like experience. But you know, you when you're this young, you shouldn't have to. You shouldn't have to think like that. You know, you shouldn't have to like count up every little thing that happens and like appreciate every single little tiny thing in life because it can just be cut away so fast. You know, that's not. In my opinion, I don't think that's how young people should live. Um, but. Some of the dialogue, man, like it's just it's just heartbreaking. It's sad, you know. I think the Midnight Club is like overly depressing, <laughs> to say the least. And when I first watched it, I was going through like some mental some mental health issues. Uh, well, I, I guess when I first watched all of these shows, I was going through like depression and whatnot. But I think the Midnight Club was a bit different because I had just lost my granddad, you know, like a month before this came out. Um, so that was that was the thing. Um, I don't know. It was just a lot, man. Um, like, let's take the uh, the dialogue, for example. So there's this one character. His name is Amish. And Amish is actually my favorite character in the show. Um, and he has this very aggressive form of, like, brain cancer or some very aggressive brain tumor slash disease. I'm not sure. Um, it's called glioblastoma or geoblastoma, one of those two. Um, either way. It's his brain kind of fighting itself and basically eating itself alive for the most part. Um, so eventually, you know, he'll, he won't know how to talk and his motor skills will fade out. And I'm guessing this everything else kind of fades as time goes on because I don't think there's a cure for it. There is treatment for it, but I don't think there's a cure for it from what I understand. Um, but anyway, this kid, basically my age, possibly younger. Um, the comic relief of the show, the funny guy, the guy that, that kind of puts everybody else in a good mood. Um, but anyway, they were sending like this, this meeting that they go to once a week or maybe a few times a week to talk about what's going on with them emotionally or what's going on with them mentally. 
and it got around to Amish's turn, and Amish says, uh, you know, I've bought all these video game consoles. Everyone has come out to this day, and I've loved all of them, but I won't get to see the PlayStation when it releases. I won't, I won't be here. My life is bad to see is, you know, it draws out before then. And that right there, though it probably was like a small moment or like a very obvious moment to other viewers, to me, that was a, a big deal, you know, like I'm a gamer. Video games are my favorite pastime other than writing and like, you know, doing this stuff. So I just can't even imagine like just thinking on a timeline. Like if I can't imagine thinking on limited time like that. Like obviously I won't be here in 200 years, but you know, that's that's long term. That's long term goals. A, a year from now or six months from now is not a long term goal for me. So that that hit me quite a bit. Um, just thinking about like, you know, imagine just having to, to live life like that. Like you, you're going to, you're going to die. You're not going to experience things that, you know, release at a certain time because you know, your life is, your life is expected to end before you get there. So yeah, it's little things like that that I think make, make the midnight club a bit too much for me personally. I don't think that's the case for everyone though. I think most people have a problem with the actual show itself like the writing itself um i'm not one of those people i don't i don't like it as much as the other three shows for even from a writing perspective but i don't think it's bad by any means like i don't mind that it's different i actually i actually like like it quite a bit i like that it's different because you know i watched two seasons of the haunting and midnight mass you know i watched that um but still like it's all like a it's still in a similar vein to the first two but this was like a completely different way of storytelling. And the way that is, is because we get a lot of character development through these these stories that I mentioned earlier, where they all go down to the library and tell these spooky stories. Sure, they're horror stories, and sure, some of them are um, just meant for like entertainment value, but you get a lot of character development through these stories. And I think that's a fairly unique way of um, of giving us our main cast. Like, it's it was fun. It was I, I enjoyed listening to all the stories or watching all the stories, and I actually can't wait to get to the, some of those stories. Um, my favorite one, actually, would be... It was um, Natsuki's. Her, her story was Road to Nowhere, and I haven't watched this show in months now and I still remember the name of her story in that episode because that story was amazing uh <laughs> but Natsuki's Road to Nowhere was by far the scariest story to me and it was also like the most I feel like we got the most character development out of her story than the other ones possibly I think Kevin's story was like real close in terms of giving the character that's telling it development but Natsuki's was just out the roof it was it was it was good that was like that was peak Mike Flanagan right there, um, in my opinion. But yeah, but my biggest issue with the Midnight Club, and I've said this before in my Hill House episode with um with with my friends, is that I just don't care about the story, and that's that's fine, you know, that's fine sometimes. Um, maybe you watch Dragon Ball Z for the fights, or you watch Cobra Kai for the fights, or you watch reality shows for the drama, or whatever the case may be, but. This is a narrative experience, and it's hard to it's hard to rate a narrative experience so high when the story takes such a backseat to everything else. Um, but I will say, even though it takes a backseat, 
I think the show itself is still good because the characters carry this show on its back heavy. The characters, more than any of the other shows, in my opinion, the other four, Mike, uh, the other three Mike Flanagan shows, I think this one is the most character driven, and the characters do two times the work that they do in the other shows, in my opinion. So it's not all bad, but it's just hard for me to rate a show higher than the other three when I just don't care about the story at all. Like I just. There was nothing driving it forward for me. Everything felt... The the story felt individual and, like, separated from the characters, you know? So that's always been my biggest problem with The Midnight Club. And I'm going to rewatch it, of course. I'm going to watch all these shows before um, Follow the House of Usher comes out. So maybe, maybe I will notice something a bit different. But I've seen it three or four times now. And that's still my opinion that it's just... The, the story just it, it isn't there for the most part. But anyway, that's enough about the Midnight Club. Um, still great show. I would still give it like a 7.5 or 8 out of 10. Like, it's still very good. It's just my least favorite of the Mike Flanagan shows. All right, first controversial opinion coming right up. At number three, I have The Haunting of Hill House. Already, that probably sounds like blasphemy to a lot of people because Hill House... To some people, it's like the best thing to ever hit the horror genre. But to me, it's not. Um, and there's a few reasons for that. Let me just get into those like straight out straight out the gate. So, number one, I watched The Haunting of Blood Manor first. That's one reason. Number two, uh, people just kept shoving Hill House like down my throat for for years before I watched it. Um, I didn't Like I said, I didn't watch it until Blood Manor came out. I watched it directly after Blind Manor to be uh to be that. So for two years almost, people just shoved it down my throat like you need to watch this. You know you gotta watch it. And at the time, I was not a Flanagan fan. Like I watched some of his movies, but I didn't really know him. Like I didn't know uh, his his style or his his revolving cast of actors. So <laughs> I didn't know anything about Flanagan. So at the time, the movies I did watch were just like, you know. Just movies that I enjoyed, but didn't think too much about at the time. So, that was one reason why I just wasn't interested in the Hill House, especially. Like, when people tell me I need to watch something, I just don't watch it. Like, don't do that. If you want me to watch something, you, you can request it, but don't, like, force feed it. Like, for for weeks and days at a time. Just just tell me, mention it, tell me the, the, the pros and cons of, in your opinion, of... Uh, of the of the show or the movie or whatever, and um, I I I would get around to it for sure. But just if you just like hammer it down, like it's the best thing that has ever hit television. Like it's you know don't do that because I'm it's not gonna have me interested. I hate when that happens because when that happens, I guess I subconsciously set my expectations too high because I know I know not to set my expectations high. Like at the front. At my uh my frontal lobe, like the front front of my brain, I know not to do that, but I still end up doing it anyway. So it must be like subconsciously that I just always raise my expectations up when people start talking like that. So just don't um don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that that's another reason. Just people like hammering it down my throat and talked it up to be like the best thing ever. And that along with the fact that I watched Blood Manor first, it just was like a recipe. That was against Hill House, in a way. Um, but with all that being said, Hill House is still fantastic. Still like a nine out of ten. 
Uh, but but yeah, I just don't love it as much as other people do. Or maybe I do love it as much as other people do, but I don't love it more than the remaining two shows on the list. But let's talk about the good. Um, the good is I actually enjoyed the story. I like that's already a point over the Midnight Club. I actually, I actually was excited to see where the story was going. I was excited for each episode. Um, and believe it or not, Hill House actually has my favorite Mike Flanagan episode of all the shows. And that would be episode six, Two Storms. Two Storms is a, to put it lightly, a cinematic masterpiece. Like, it's it's incredible through and through, all the way through. The acting, the, the obviously the camera work, and even the lack of, like, a soundtrack. I don't think, maybe I got to rewatch the episode again. Um, it has been a few, few months. But I'm pretty sure the soundtrack only kicked in once during the episode. And I think it was used very effectively. I'm pretty sure the only time the soundtrack kicked in was when uh, when Nail fell out. When Nail's casket fell. Um, what the fuck is that tongue twister? When Nail's casket fell, uh, <laughs> I think that was the first time the soundtrack kicked in. And I think it might have kicked in one more time at the end of the episode when she does her um, Nobody Ever Sees Me line. But I think it just plays, like, the whole way through, like, all of that stuff at the end. I'm pretty sure. So, the lack of the soundtrack is also amazing and, and like, incredibly atmospheric. It sets the mood really well. Um, man, I love the episode, dude. I could talk about the episode all day. We talked about the episode for quite a while in my Hill House one, so... I'm not going to talk too long about Hill House because I've already said all this before in, like, a three-hour discussion, but... I do really like Hill House, and I'm glad that this was the show, or this was the project to put Mike Flanagan on the map and put him in the in the eyes of all the the Netflix casuals, as I would say. <laughs> I will say this though: I will say that I can definitely see why this would be someone's favorite, or I, you know what, I'd probably even go as far as to say I can see why this would be most people's favorite of the four. Um, but for me, that's just simply not the case. Um, but anyway, res- respect everybody's opinions. Um, I, I don't care if they have the Midnight Club number one. That's also understandable in some regards. Um, but yeah, number three, Hill House. All right, coming in for these last two. These are actually two shows that we didn't talk about much on the uh, the three-hour episode. We talked about Hill House, obviously, and we also talked about The Midnight Club quite a bit, I believe. Um, but but these last two are just two shows that we didn't really talk about, and part of that is because we are going to uh, we're going to do separate episodes, like separate discussions for each of these, like how we did with Hill House. So we didn't want to like go too much into other shows, but I really don't think we dived into these last two at all. But at number two, I have The Haunting of Bly Manor. Ah oh, man, Bly Manor, Bly Manor, Bly Manor. Bly Manor is just, I love Bly Manor, dude. I think it's the one I've rewatched the most over the course of these last few years. Um, it's not my favorite, of course. Obviously, you know which one my favorite is because there's only one more option left. But it is the one I rewatched the most, which is quite surprising because to me, I know I said that the Midnight Club was like the most depressing, but I think... Bly Manor is like the most, like, 
I don't even know the word for it. Like, every time I watch Bly Manor, I get, like, this sense of, like, like, dread, kind of. Like, this, some, I don't know what it is about the show. It's something, it's something to do. And I think it always hits hard when when we get to, like, Rebecca's episode, which is episode seven. Um, Once we get to her episode, that's when it starts to, like, hit very hard for me. So, I think... Something about that, like, it's always, like, this feeling of dread and the whole Viola story is crazy. Um, so, yeah, I think the Midnight Club is, like, the most depressing, definitely. But I think Bly Manor has, it's the most, like, dreadful. Like, it's the, I dare to say it's the scariest. But it's not scary in a way that, I, I think, I think Midnight Mass and Hill House is way scarier on, like, a, on a normal scale, like in a normal sense, I think it's definitely those two over Bly Manor, but somehow, some way, I think the Bly Manor is like the scariest, kind of, in its own way. Bly Manor is the show that introduced me to Rahul Kohli, and Rahul Kohli has gone on to be my favorite of like the Mike Flanagan um, alumni, if you will. Um, and I think Owen, his character in Bly Manor, is still my favorite character in the entire like Flanagan universe, multiverse. Um, I would have to think a bit, but I'm I'm pretty sure that's the way I would go. I would say that Owen's my favorite character. But there are some interesting picks coming up in the fall of the House of Usher. So I can't wait to get to that show because it looks like it's going to be a lot of like insane shit going on in that TV series. But um, but yeah, man, I got introduced to Rahul Kohli here. Um, I also got introduced to Victoria Pedretti, which is now like my biggest celebrity crush of all time. I'm in love with Victoria Pedretti, man. <laughs> um. I loved her so much. In fact, I watched Hill House right after. And then even, I even ended up watching You just to see Victoria Pedretti. I could not wait to get to season two um, just to see her because she is great. She was great. She was great as Nell. She was great as Danny. She's great as Love and You. She Everything I've seen her in, she's just fantastic. So she, uh, Blind Man introduced me to her. Um, they also introduced me to um, Oliver Jackson Cohen that plays Peter Quint. I think most of these actors, except for Henry Thomas, and uh, I think that's it. I think Henry Thomas is like the only actor I knew beforehand. So this introduced me to all of these like Mike Flanagan iconic mainstays. Uh, and man, was it a good introduction. Anyway, so unlike with The Haunting of Hill House, um, I was actually familiar with some of Henry James's work. Um, I didn't know any of Shirley Jackson's work. I didn't. I never read the Hill House book. I never watched the. Um, well, before I watched this version of Hill House, I never watched the other um, the other movies that was based off of Hill House. So this was Hill House was like my first introduction to anything related to uh, her. Um, but with Henry James, I I actually had read some of his novels before or novellas, if that's what you want to call it. Um, knew some of his short stories. Actually, I, I saw um, The Turning, which was with Finn Wolfhard, um, which was like another turn of the screw um, <clears throat> adaption. Uh, so I actually watched that. I, I was I was very familiar with Henry, with Henry James's work beforehand. So that's just another reason why Black Manor kind of stuck out to me. Um, and the way they, bro, Mike Flanagan is like a, it's literally, I think he's a genius. But um, the way he cultivated like all of, Henry James's work into this show and made each episode center around another novel or novella or, sh- or short story of um 
Henry James is just crazy. Like, Alter of the Dead. Um, Alter of the Dead is probably my favorite work from Henry James. Like, I like Turn of the Screw. Don't get me wrong. I, I really do like it. Um, but Alter of the Dead is, like, fantastic. So, if you don't know, Alter of the Dead is episode 5 of Blood Manor. It's the, the episode centered around Hannah Gross. Um, but the way that Mike Flanagan tied that story into the one from Henry James is just crazy. So, Altar of the Dead is a short story, um, and this source material, like the original format, was a short story. And it's completely different from the way they did it with Hannah in the show, but it's not too different. Like, it's, it's a very obvious theme that carries over between the two. Um, so, basically, the, the main character... The whole point of Altar of the Dead is to, it's about a, a man trying to remember, trying to keep the memory of his dead acquaintances or his dead friends, um, and that's to save them from being forgotten, like just from being forgotten and kind of wiped from existence, and that's the shortest way I could summarize it. <laughs> it's a bit complex, honestly, but um, but that's like the shortest way to summarize it. It's about a man who's trying to keep his friends and acquaintances' memories alive through remembering them. Um, and if you know anything about Black Manor, you know that episode five is Hannah Gross's episode, and it's about her slipping through time and slowly fading away, um, as all things do once they die. That's another theme of Black Manor. Um, and it's a theme that I also think about a lot. Like, a few weeks, uh, a few days ago, sorry, uh, me and my cousin, we went to the graveyard, and we just went there to, you know, visit old family members and whatnot just to pay our respects but when we were there we kind of realized that once you pass away like that's kind of it you know like that's that's just it <laughs> you become a headstone you become pictures you become videos you become a memory but eventually all those things fade eventually somebody's going to look at the last photo of you for the last time or watch the last video of you for the last time. And eventually, again, much, much further into the future, eventually somebody's going to remember you from for the last time. Um, and I guess in a way even you can say somebody's going to visit your, your gravestone for the last time. Like we saw people that were buried there for almost 200 years now. When do you think the last time it was somebody thought about those people before you know me and him went to visit them? So this is something that I think about often. That's another theme of Blind Manor, kind of just fading into whatever once you pass away. <clears throat> anyway, went off on a tangent there, but um, <laughs> but yeah, just the way that he incorporated the original source material with um with his own with his show and also kept the characters somewhat in the same vein is just crazy to me. But as you can tell by my number one slot. I really do love when Mike Flanagan creates his own characters in his own universe and whatnot, which is, it's been a few times now. Like, it's, I think Midnight Mass is, or not I think, I know Midnight Mass is his only TV show that he's completely written from scratch, but he does have a few movies that were also his own idea, and I think those movies shine a bit more than um, some of his adaptations, you know, except for Dr. Sleep. Dr. Sleep was just a banger, like, all the way through, um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, man, Blind Manor, dude. I, I love Blind Manor. I watched it at a time where there was just nothing else to watch. It was, uh, I think it was like winter of 2021, possibly. Maybe it was winter of 2020. Yeah, I, yeah, it was definitely winter of 2020. Um, 
because my granddad was still alive when I first watched it. That's how I kind of keep up with stuff. It was either before my granddad died or after my granddad died. Um, but yeah, it, I watched it at a time where there was just nothing else interesting to me, and I'm really glad I did because I fell in love with Mike Flanagan's uh, films and his other projects, but I also just fell in love with the show because it was really, really good. One thing that I didn't really cover were the um, the supporting characters or the other characters. I only talked about Owen, and Owen is Owen is a supporting character. <laughs> but um, but yeah, man, the other characters too. Jamie, Jamie was incredibly written. Um, Danny, Miles, and Flora, of course, they're the kid actors, man. Um, Amelia or Emily and um, Benjamin, they killed it. They are fantastic kid actors and I hope they stay in the industry in a in a safe environment though I always like to say that um whenever I talk about these kids like Violet McGraw Violet McGraw was in Hill House and she was also in Megan and when I did my Megan review I said how happy I was that they're still in the film industry but I do want them to be protected and be safe because it's just a lot of mishappiness going on in the film industry behind the scenes so I hope they Stay in the industry, but I hope they, you know, I hope they are protected and and feel comfortable with their careers. But um, yeah, man, the two kids are great. Uh, Rahul Kohli, um, Victoria Pedretti, Tanaya Miller that plays Hannah. Um, even Henry Henry Thomas, his character. Um, they they all they they're all outstanding, outstanding, outstanding cast. But yeah, I don't have too much more to say about Blind Manor. I just it just came at a really unique time to me and because of that I think it stuck out a lot more than you know than Hill House did for one because I watched it after Blood Manor like I was already kind of intertwined into this universe now although they're separate you know it's still it still feels really really similar um, like I said they're just spiritual successor and predecessors of each other so it, it just it just stood out to me it just came out at a very good time I would say but you all know what my favorite Mike Flanagan show is. Uh, at number one, we have Midnight Mass. Oh, man, dude. Midnight Mass. I've said this time and time again. If I can give one show a perfect 10 out of 10, the title of being a masterpiece, it is by far and wide Midnight Mass. Now, I don't want you to get confused. Midnight Mass is not my favorite TV show of all time. Uh, I don't even know if it's top five of my favorite TV shows of all time. But I do think it's the best written TV show of all time, at least that I've seen. I know some people throw in uh, Breaking Bad and The Sopranos and things like that. I haven't watched Breaking Bad, so I can't speak for that. Neither have I watched The Sopranos, and I have no interest in either of those shows. Um, <laughs> but from so far, for me, from what I've seen, I think that in the most objective sense possible, which is pretty much nothing because it's all subjective, but... In the most objective way possible, I think that Midnight Mass is the best show I've ever watched. One of those reasons is because, like I said earlier, I like when I'm tested as a as a human. Um, my moral my moral compass, my religious beliefs, uh, my emotional values. I like to be challenged and tested and see do I double down on what I believe in or do I potentially shift. And Midnight Mass has been the the only show. Well, not the only show, but it's the, it's definitely the show that did that the most for me. Now, <clears throat> as you know, Midnight Mass is revolved around um, the Catholic Church. I'm not Catholic. I'm Baptist. Um, and no, it didn't sway my religious beliefs at all. But it, it was interesting. Like I, I, It made me want to look more into um, how the Catholic Church 
do their side of things. Um, not that I'll ever really convert, but I, I am interested now to, you know, attend a mass if that's even allowed. Um, I, w- I would love to attend a mass and see, like, the differences between Baptists and um in the Catholic Church. But, uh, yeah, my religious, religious views weren't really swayed, but I guess you can say that my my morality kind of was tested in some ways. Like, all the characters come from a very, like, unique perspective. They all have their own reasons for doing what they do and believe in what they believe in. And I agree and disagree with every single last one of them. Like, even we, even Beverly, um, Beverly Keen, like, the most fucking disgusting human alive. I understand why. I understand why she is the way she is, whether that's for better or for worse, whether it's right or wrong. I can't really speak to that. But um, but I understand her, and I think she was amazingly written, and even better, like, she, Jesus, she was written perfectly, but she was acted even more perfectly, man. Samantha Sloyan, she didn't really get to shine much in Hill House. She was kind of a, just, a, not even a supporting character, like, just straight up a side character, um, but she didn't really get a chance to shine until now, and now I'm glad that everybody sees how brilliant of an actress she is. And, of course, she carried on into uh, the Midnight Club as well. But, once again, she didn't really get much to do. Um, maybe a bit more than Hill House, but definitely way less than Midnight Mass. Um, oh, God. so It's so many characters and so many different things in Midnight Mass. It just makes it incredible. Like It feels like a, a actual place with actual people. The church feels like an actual church. It feels like an actual community. Um... All the characters feel like real people to me. They all have their own baggage, their own their own problems, their own relationships with each other, their own problems with each other, um, and they all build and crumble together, like as a united front on this island. Again, whether that's for better or worse, I don't know. I can't speak to that. <laughs> but um, but it's just it's just really crazy. Like I can see, you can tell how much work Mike put into this over the other projects in my opinion like sure Hill House and Black Manor are incredible shows like 9 out of 10s but you can tell them more um like you can tell they're like how do I say this without sounding stupid you can tell they're TV shows right you can tell these are TV projects Midnight Mass feels as close to like some kind of real life docuseries that I've ever seen um Especially for a format that's not shooting for that. It's filmed and it's shot and it's formatted and constructed as just a regular TV show. But it feels like like an insight on the human condition, honestly. It just feels like an insight of everything that revolves around humanity. So, ah, man, dude, I can just sit and talk about Midnight Mass forever. Um, but some of the criticisms, let's get into that. Uh, I think the biggest one that I've seen is, well, I've seen a few. I think I'll say the top three. Uh, the first biggest one that I see the most is the monologues. Me personally, I think monologues are some of the best aspects of writing. I love monologues a lot. Um, they give you so much character like development, so much lore on on everything. And I understand that some people like a uh, like a they like show me instead of tell me um, as far as writing goes, and I agree with that. In a certain, to a certain extent, um, definitely, like, but it, it depends on the, like, the kind of show it is, with this type of show, 
monologues are perfectly okay. They're probably preferred. Um, because if you show too much, you lose that suspense aspect of it. I think it's better to talk about, to let the characters talk about their individual experiences of the island and what's going on at the time of the, the show's events rather than to show us as an audience what's going on. Because then we're, why would we be invested in stuff that we already know about? You know, like, if there's no mystery. What's the point in investing your time into this? So with this type of show, I think that monologues are perfectly okay. I actually think they're preferred. Um, and Mike Flanagan does those monologues with just brilliance every time. Uh, my favorite scene, uh, maybe not my favorite scene. One of my favorite scenes in this show is uh, the scene between Lisa and Joe Colley, Robert Longstreet's character. By the way, Robert Longstreet is like a top three Mike Flanagan mainstay for me. I don't know if I said that already, but I, I think it's Rahul Coley, Robert Longstreet, and then Henry Thomas for me. They're all fantastic, um, fantastic actors. But anyway, uh, Robert Longstreet's character, Joe Colley, the, the monologue between those two is some of the best acting I've seen. And honestly... Though it's not like super in-depth or complex or anything like that, I think it's some of the best writing I've seen too. Especially when we know, when we knew of the alluded like interpersonal relationship between the two, but now we just get it like full front. But it's still subtle in a way. Like it's not like, it's explosive because of the performances. Don't get me wrong, but it's not like in your face, like this exposition shoved down your throat because I think that's a bit too far. But when it's just like a monologue to just, give you what you need to know and nothing more i think that scene is some of the best writing that i've seen ever another criticism i've seen quite a few times is the reveal of the angel or in actuality it's a vampire but we did i'm just gonna actually no i'm not gonna call it an angel but the reveal of the vampire um a lot of people think they should have held off on that or just not showed it as much as they did and i disagree i mean i don't it, it never took me out of it like it's a show that has vampires in its, literally in its backbones. Like, it's, it's structured around that aspect of uh, of Christianity. Because, believe it or not, vampires do hail from Christianity. Um, I know that's kind of like, it's crazy to think about, but they do have um, Christian roots. <laughs> um, but yeah, the show is centered around this. I don't see the problem in showing it. Especially when it, it's not like they, they revealed it in episode four. Um, we saw hints of it in the first three episodes, and we saw it fully in episode six. But, like, it's a seven-episode series. When I don't know when people expected to see the big bad or, like, the big the, the big plot device of the of the series. Like, hold it off until, like, the last five minutes of the finale. No, you... You give us something to be excited for about the finale. So I think them revealing it in episode six was actually a pretty good choice. And the little glimpses we got of it beforehand, like the end of episode five and the, the scene in episode four and the little, you know, the eyes in episodes uh, three or two, whichever episode that was. Who cares, dude? <laughs> like, it, it's... You you shouldn't have to you shouldn't feel like a genius for like figuring something out at the end of a TV show you know in my opinion unless it's like a murder mystery type of deal but even then if you watch enough of those you know what to expect right so uh, you know eh, it's not a it's not really a a bad not a negative point for me it's just another thing in the show those are really the main two like complaints that I've I've seen um, 
what my biggest complaint is that I think is too short. Not be, no, actually, I don't think it's too short. I just want more. Like, give me a Midnight Mass too, please. Give me something. Give me some kind of spinoff or like a behind the scenes like featurette or I don't know, man. I just I need more Midnight Mass. I've watched every single reaction channel on YouTube that reacted to Midnight Mass. I've watched all of them. That's how obsessed I was with Midnight Mass, man. I, I, I liked it so much that I had to watch it with other people and get their perspective on things. And I've actually learned. I learned a lot through uh, the people that are more involved with Catholicism or at least grew up with that aspect of Christianity. They Some of those people that did reaction videos are like um, long, introspective uh, um, reviews of Midnight Mass. I learned a lot from them. So it's not like I got nothing out of it other than entertainment value like I actually learned quite a lot um but yeah man Midnight Mass is one of those shows that comes around once like every 20 years um the last one for me that hits as hard as Midnight Mass is actually my favorite show of all time that's Boy Meets World the life lessons the life lessons I learned from Boy Meets World cannot ever be matched I don't think like I've learned so much from that show but Midnight Mass challenges some of those life lessons and moral values that I did gain from Boy Meets World. So that's, you know, that's fine. Uh, Midnight Mass is so good. If you guys haven't seen Midnight Mass, please, please check it out. It is fantastic. Definitely worth the watch. Um, and if, I f- if it feels like I'm just rambling in this episode, it's because I am. I didn't write anything down. I'm just talking off the top of my head. So it may be a bit sloppy, but I'm trying to get... 30 videos out to you guys this month (laughs) I can't really write out everything because then I would just never get it done and I'm probably not going to get it done anyway but let me try let me try you know I'm trying um but anyway guys thank you for tuning in to this episode um I hope you enjoyed it and I will see you on the next thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the real Reese. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.